RD Talks, brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia, a division of Direct Publishing. The Man Who Wouldn't Die by Siobhan McMahon Before them stood a bitumen-encased mummy, its body swollen as if dipped again and again in molten wax. When Mark Bowler kissed his wife goodbye one morning before work, little did he know that his life was about to change forever. I wish you had longer holidays, Julie Bowler said, embracing her husband Mark in the doorway of their home in Mogo, a small Australian coastal town 300 kilometres south of Sydney. Me too, the dark-haired 30-year-old replied as he kissed his wife goodbye. This November 1, 1993, was to be his first day back at work as plant operator at the nearby Southern Asphalters Complex after two weeks' leave. He had enjoyed relaxing at home with Julie, 27, and their two daughters, three-year-old Jerrica and Megan, nearly two. Though slim and just 1.6 metres tall, Bowler was well-muscled and strong, with a reputation for hard work and stamina. Before his holiday, he had worked seven days a week for ten weeks straight to produce 10,000 tonnes of asphalt for the New South Wales Roads and Traffic Authority, one of the company's biggest clients. He often worried that he was neglecting his family. But we need the money, he told himself. His wage had to cover the mortgage on their two-bedroom home and medical bills for Jerrica, who suffered mild cerebral palsy. My overtime will pay for Jerry's wheelchair, he promised Julie. At 7am, Bowler turned into the driveway of the sprawling asphalt plant. He drove past a small dam on his left, then past an aluminium-clad plant office on his right. Ahead was the main machinery of the plant, a seven-metre-long horizontal mixing drum fed gravel by a conveyor belt and fired at the opposite end of a massive diesel burner. Rising like a monolith beside the mixer was a five-metre-high steel-lined bitumen storage tank, a huge element inside kept 56,000 litres of the shiny black liquid, a by-product of the distillation process that separates petroleum from crude oil at a constant 170 degrees Celsius. Bowler parked his truck near the machinery, then joined five workmates for a quick cup of coffee before starting work. Among them was Stephen Harris, a relatively new recruit. Harris had always appreciated Bowler's upbeat spirit. On Harris's first day at the plant six months earlier, Bowler had welcomed him with a firm handshake. Don't look so worried, mate, he said, grinning. You'll soon get the hang of things around here. Since then, the two had developed a close working relationship. Bowler's first task for that day was to change the air vent pipe on top of the silo-like tank. He climbed a ladder up the side of the tank and stepped onto the black tin roof. He felt heat radiating through the soles of his thick work boots, despite the tank's layer of insulation bats. He knew the bitumen inside could fry him like a fritter. The quicker I get this job done, he thought, the quicker I can get down. Suddenly, Bowler heard a roaring sound. Puzzled, he swung round and saw steam hissing from a breather pipe in the centre of the tank, a sign that pressure was mounting inside. The tank began to rumble, the tremors intensifying rapidly. Within seconds, the structure was vibrating violently, and Bowler had the shocking realisation. It's going to blow! 
Immediately, he jumped onto a smaller, slightly lower holding chamber about one and a half metres away. He still had four and a half metres to leap, the height of a house. I've got to get down quickly, he thought. Looking down as he jumped, he gasped in horror. A split had appeared at the main tank's base, and molten bitumen was fanning across the asphalt floor like water from a ruptured fire hose spraying over his projected landing spot. Slamming to the ground, Bowler felt cartilage rip in both knees. As he crumpled sideways, he was drenched with bitumen. Pain exploded through his body as it burned through his T-shirt and work pants and into his skin, blistering his back, covering his face and burning off his beard. I'm roasting alive! Struggling to his feet, Bowler tried to run, but before he could take a step, the split in the tank's base widened as if sheared with a giant can opener. Then the upper section blew off, the pressure inside forcing it skywards like a rocket and unleashing a tidal wave of bitumen. Bowler was smashed to the ground by the torrent and swept several metres along the pavement, gulping for air and frantically scrabbling to stop his slide. When the wave subsided, he was covered in a layer of bitumen about three millimetres thick. It surged through his ears, perforating his eardrums and burned the flesh inside his mouth and nostrils. Water, he thought, the dam. Bowler had helped dig the plant's six by four and a half metre reservoir with a front-end loader a year earlier to provide extra water for the plant. It was 60 metres away, down a slope. It's my only hope, he thought. With his injured knees grating, he stood and tried to run, but immediately slipped and fell. His boots provided no traction against the slippery bitumen, which was now a viscous, ankle-deep pool. Desperately, Bowler again struggled to his feet. After staggering a few steps, he was gasping with exhaustion as the bitumen began to set, becoming sticky and hampering his movements. Bloody hell, he bellowed in frustration. Forcing himself onwards, Bowler reached his utility vehicle and steadied himself against the passenger side door. Through a slit over his left eye, the only part of his face not covered in bitumen, he focused on the dam. You've got to make it, he thought. Stephen Harris was just outside the plant office, midway between the tank and the dam, talking to his boss through a door when he heard the explosion. Swivelling around, the bearded 38-year-old tanker driver stared in amazement at the ruins of the crumpled tank and at a black, mummy-like figure leaning against Mark Bowler's vehicle. Unable to recognise the man, Harris felt a rush of pity as the figure swore with pain. The man pushed away from the utility and weaved down the hill with arms outstretched. Call an ambulance, Harris yelled into the office. Meanwhile, the bitumen-covered figure swaggered to the dam, waded in up to his knees and fell face-first into the one-and-a-half-metre-deep water, submerging himself. Behind him, the river of steaming, bubbling bitumen oozed like lava steadily down the slope towards the dam. Bowler felt some relief as the cool water covered his body, which had come to rest on the clay bottom of the dam, but when he tried to push himself up, he felt frozen in place. The bitumen had hardened like toffee, encasing his limbs and making it difficult to reach the surface of the water. When he pushed desperately against the dam bottom, the hardening bitumen cracked, splitting his skin 
and sending fresh waves of agony through his body as muddy water seeped into wounds under his arms and behind his knees. His lungs begged for oxygen. I'm drowning! Bowler had been lifting weights for ten years to develop his upper body strength. Now, with superhuman effort, he used his muscular arms to force himself off the damn bottom. Finally, he straightened his legs and thrust his head above the surface. His chest heaved as he tried to suck in air, but he couldn't breathe. Bitumen had set inside his nostrils, across his lips and in his mouth. Fighting panic, he poked out his tongue through the solidified bitumen until he could breathe. About two minutes had passed since the explosion. We've called an ambulance, Harris reassured Bowler after running to the side of the dam. He still didn't know who the blackened figure was. You'll be all right, mate. Bowler, who could barely hear, was not convinced. As he stood with his chin just above the surface, he could feel burns throbbing all over his body. He remembered hearing somewhere that you could die from bitumen burns to more than 50% of your body. Fearing the worst, Bowler pushed away despair. You can beat this, he told himself. He had never been a quitter, often trying to prove to others that his diminutive size was no barrier. Once, in a test of strength in a local leg press competition, conveners had laughed when Bowler requested 317 kilograms for his first attempt, the same weight lifted by the winner of the heavyweight division, a man 15 centimetres taller and about 20 kilograms heavier. You'll never lift that, one organiser had said. You're a lightweight. Bowler stepped into the leg press machine and lay on his back with legs bent. He braced himself, then pushed his legs up against the barbell in one smooth motion. By day's end, he had lifted 363 kilograms, nearly five times his body weight, and no one was laughing. Please, I need help. Harris instantly recognised the voice. It's Mark. Harris knew one of Bowler's daughters suffered cerebral palsy. I've got to give him a hand, he thought. Mark would do the same for me. Still wearing his boots and overalls, Harris waded into the dam and gently slipped his hands under Bowler's arms to hold him up. The hardened bitumen felt like hot crocodile skin against his hands. I've got you, mate, Harris said. We'll stay in the water until the ambulance arrives. By now, five minutes had passed since the explosion. Word of Bowler's injury had spread, and three men were gathered around the dam. Suddenly, one shouted, The bitumen's coming into the water! Harris swung around and was horrified to see the river of bitumen. It slowly began to enter the reservoir, turning the water to steam. A sizzling brown foam crept across the surface towards the two men's exposed heads. They could feel the heat from the bitumen in the water. Let's move it, Harris yelled in alarm. Supporting Bowler by the elbows, he quickly guided him to the opposite side of the dam, bordered by a two and a half metre high near vertical bank. Bowler tried to climb the slope, his bitumen cake fingers clawing clumsily at the slippery clay. Harris climbed out ahead and tried to drag Bowler after him. The foam was only two metres away, then one, then it was upon Bowler, coating him in a second cooler but thicker layer of bitumen. Help me pull him out, Harris shouted to the men on top of the bank. Mark screamed as he was hauled upwards, the skin under his arms splitting wider. 
Panting, Harris gaped at the figure swaying before him. Mark Bowler's facial features were barely discernible beneath the mask of bitumen. His arms and legs looked a third more than their normal size. Overcome, Harris turned away in anguish. The poor guy won't last till morning, he thought. As soon as Bowler left the water, the burning sensation returned. Please, he begged, keep me wet. Bowler was led to a green and black council truck parked near the dam. Attached to the truck was an emergency shower for use in case of bitumen burns. Harris turned on the tap as Bowler stood under the nozzle, but the slow trickle didn't offer him much relief. It's no good, he moaned. Get the hose quickly, shouted Harris. One man ran and hooked up a garden hose to a tap, but the hose wouldn't reach, and, supported by workmates, Bowler had to stumble up a slope before the men could spray him. The water eased the pain, but now Bowler felt unbearably cold. He began to shiver violently, the first sign of shock. I feel faint, he said. Quickly, his mate sat him on a chair, covering it with wet rags so he wouldn't stick to it, and continued to spray him. Despite his pain, Bowler managed to joke hoarsely. All I need is a bag of feathers. Nobody smiled. At 8.20am, some 30 minutes after the explosion, Bowler was in an ambulance speeding towards Batemans Bay District Hospital. On the way, Bowler thought of Julie and the children. After Jerrica had been diagnosed with cerebral palsy two years earlier, he and Julie rose early each morning, massaged her thin legs, strapped plastic splints to her ankles and persuaded her to exercise her lazy right eye. What will they do if I die? Please, God, he prayed. For their sake, help me live. At the hospital, Dr John Berwick peeled away a chunk of bitumen from the inside of Bowler's left elbow and inserted an IV drip into a vein. Knowing that burn victims lose large amounts of plasma from damaged capillaries, Berwick drained six litres of saline into Bowler's body over the next three hours, along with morphine for the pain. When nurses tried to remove Bowler's oxygen mask for a more effective one, they discovered it had become glued in place. They had to cut it away and lay plastic cling wrap over his face. At 8.40am, Julie received a telephone call from the plant about Mark's accident. After arranging for a friend to look after the girls, she raced to the hospital. Outside the casualty ward, she saw her husband's blackened work boots. Thank God, she thought. Only his feet are burned. Dr. Berwick pushed through the doors looking pale. There's no way to prepare you for this, he said, and her heart sank. Julie sucked in her breath when she saw her husband. He was unrecognisable, and a strong petrol-like smell wafted from the tar on his body. With tears streaming down her face, she gently took his warm, sticky hand. I'm going to try to pull through, Bowler mumbled. If I don't, do whatever it takes for you and the girls to survive. Sell the house. Don't worry, Julie whispered, forcing a smile. Try to get better. At about 1.45pm, Bowler was anaesthetised and transported by helicopter to the intensive care unit at Sydney's Royal North Shore Hospital. Nurses sponged him with more than 10 litres of paraffin oil to loosen the bitumen, which was gently peeled off. Doctors assessed he had suffered full thickness burns, the kind that destroys all skin to 81% of his body. 
a percentage almost invariably fatal. Still heavily sedated, Bowler began to swell, his head expanding to the size of a football. His blood pressure plummeted, first as fluid from his damaged blood vessels leaked into surrounding tissue and later as bacteria invaded his bloodstream. On his third night in hospital, Dr Ray Raper, a senior staff specialist, called Julie, who had driven to Sydney from Mogo into an ICU conference room. I've never seen burns like this before, he told her. There is a strong chance Mark won't make it. Julie took the lift down to the hospital chapel. For two hours she sat in silence. The nurses had warned her that if Mark survived, he could be in pain for months and might be psychologically scarred by the accident. I want Mark to live, Julie prayed, but it's selfish to expect him to go through that for me and the kids. Returning to the ICU, Julie stood over her unconscious, bandage-swathed husband. If you can't go on, she sobbed, I give you permission to die. For four weeks, Bowler hovered between life and death as he began a series of seven skin graft operations. Each time, doctors sliced off a six-hundredth of a millimetre thick layer of skin from his thighs, the only area on his body relatively unscathed, then fed it through a machine that stretches skin, increasing its area nine times. After each operation, they had to wait for the skin on his thighs to regenerate before repeating the procedure. He had surgery to reconstruct both eardrums and later physiotherapy to strengthen muscles. Though his vital signs sometimes ebbed, he fought back, gradually regaining his strength. Finally, after five and a half months in hospital, he was well enough to be discharged. The grafts to Bowler's face and neck were successful. However, today the scarring remains noticeable. He walks with a limp, has nerve damage in his hands and has only 60% lung capacity, a consequence of inhaling hot air in the accident and a possible side effect of the medication he received after the accident. But he marvels at his good health. In March 1996, the Industrial Court of New South Wales fined Southern Asphalters $85,000 for failing to ensure the safety of its workers at the bitumen plant. Although the precise cause of the accident was not known, the explosion was most likely caused when flammable vapour that had collected in the bitumen storage tank was ignited. Bowler prefers not to dwell on the accident and his injuries and has always been more inclined to focus on how fortunate he was to have survived. We know it's a miracle Mark is alive, says Julie, smiling and holding her husband's hand. We'll never forget how lucky we are to still have him. Today, Mark, now 55, lives on a small farm outside Maruya, New South Wales, with his wife Julie and their elder daughter Jerrica. The 28-year-old relies on quad sticks to walk, but at her urging many years ago, she and her father learned to sail. We competed in the Victorian State Sailing Championships and came first in two divisions, says Mark, whose pride in his daughter shines in his voice. Before the accident, there were times when I was working up to 80 hours a week and would barely see my kids awake. After the accident, I was with them all the time. In a lot of ways, it was a good time. I watched my kids grow up and I had some input into their lives. 
The accident also gave Mark the impetus to pursue passions that he'd long put on hold. It took about two years before I was reasonably self-sufficient, but after that I really pushed myself. Mark took up speedway racing, archery and shooting. In 1997 he got his pilot's licence and two years later he became a flying instructor. Flying is the best thing I've ever done in my life, he says. Although it was 10 years before Mark was able to return to paid work, he now builds relocatable cabins full-time and spends his weekends teaching flying, restoring his 1940 Ford pickup and inventing devices that perform the fine motor skills his hands lost in the accident. Nerve damage makes tasks like picking up coins from the ground pretty difficult, so I've made my own tools to help. Other daily reminders of the accident include a limp in his left leg and scarring from the burns that Mark says you can't help but notice. Still, he rarely takes a sick day and gets up at 5.30am three days a week to fit in body pump classes at the gym before work. I've been very lucky, he says. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia, a division of The Direct Group. 